you know, God's spoken so much already, but uh, I want you to go to the book of Peter with me, 1 Peter. And uh, I'm doing this, the Lord spoke to me about this series and uh, of messages that I was supposed to do on uh, reaching your potential. And, uh, you know, when, let me just, putting this into context, and if you missed last Sunday, be sure to get on and listen to our podcast. That was a great service, so... Um, and uh, you'll definitely be encouraged about moving forward. But uh, God has a potential for your life, and it's good. Yep, and it's good. And, uh, and he wants you to be able to reach it. And so, uh, and, but I can tell you this, there's an enemy, an adversary. You deal with two adversaries in your life. Are you ready? One is you. Right? One is you. One is the devil. Those are your adversaries. So the devil's easy to deal with as long as you know what his deceptions are. You're a little harder. Because, see, the Bible tells us that the carnal mind, which we all deal with, is enmity or the enemy of God. It doesn't think like God does. So we're going to face challenges in our life that, that we have to realize that, you know, it's because of our own stinking, somebody called it stinking thinking. It's our own thinking that gets us into trouble or gets us off track. And so um, Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, look, your thoughts are not, God speaking, your thoughts are not my thoughts, your ways are not my ways. But he said, look, I'm, that doesn't mean I'm not going to help you. I'll tell you what my thoughts are and my ways are. And uh, if you'll give to that, he says, look, what I'll do in your life is I'll prosper you and I'll give you great success. He told Joshua the same thing in 1.8. He said, if you'll meditate in my book day and night, don't let it depart from before your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. He says, what will happen is you'll prosper and you'll have good success. So that's the promise of God. Four things to work in the earth the way they're supposed to. We have to follow the principles that God has established because God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. Now, you can do what most of us do. Uh, you can, you know, you like you get something, you go buy something, and instead of reading the manual, you spend all your time trying to figure out how to do it on your own. That's the carnal mind. You save yourself a ton of time if you just open the manual. You know, our, our, our microwave at home, you know, this was a time change deal right now, so, you know, our microwave has time on it, and I'm a little, I get a little obsessive about stuff, so all the clocks have to be at the same time through the house, and and so I go through and start doing that. And, and uh, our microwave, like it's not like our old microwave that you push this button and then you put the time and then you put enter and then it's there. This microwave, you have to follow a series of button pushes to get it to actually do it. Do you know how many times I tried to set the time before I finally realized the best thing to do is to get the manual out and actually see what the designer of this thing was thinking. I may not agree with what they were thinking, but it doesn't matter if I agree with what they were thinking because they're the designer, and I am not. And if I want to use the product, i got to follow the manual. If you want to be blessed in the heavens and the earth, yeah, and hopefully she's looking at the manual, right? I mean, Sharon, she'd go in there. I, she'd do the exact same thing. She'd, and and let, let me tell you, let me tell you how close the manual was. Here's the microwave. Here's the refrigerator. There's the manual. 
What is it in us? What is it in our creation that makes us think we got to figure it out, that we can do this without looking at the manual? How close is your Bible to you with all the wisdom and guidance that you need? But for many, it's the last place that will turn. I did it with the manual. Hallelujah. And no matter how hard I tried to get that thing to do what I wanted it to do, it was not going to do what I wanted it to do until I followed the directions. That's good preaching. So God gives us his ways. God gives us his thoughts. He tells us how things should function, how to, the, how to, how to benefit from the things of this earth. And Peter here in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he begins to talk about some of the trials and difficulties that are going on uh, in the church. The church is dispersed all over the place because of persecution uh, that's taking place. And in chapter 1 and verse 3, he begins to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. Man, I love that, don't you? This thing that God has done for us is living. It's hopeful. Hallelujah. It, it, look, it's an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a mouthful. And he said, in, look, guys, in verse 6, in this you rejoice. You're rejoicing in your life right now, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." This passage talks about us being tested by fire. Tested. The trial that you and I go through. Now, I want you to notice here, it isn't saying anywhere that God is causing the trial. That's where the church gets a little confused. Because we start thinking, well, God's causing these problems, so my faith will be strong. No, God knows that the problems will cause your faith to be strong as long as you focus on Him and keep your faith in Him not on your trial, all right? My Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Now, wouldn't we have all loved a Bible that said, the righteous are excluded from affliction, right? We would love that, man. It'd be no trials, no difficulty, no problems, everything's smooth, everything's great. Um, you know, and instead of coming to church on Sunday and believing in a Jesus that we don't see, uh, we could have a Jesus that actually just was here and we could see him. Wouldn't that be like we just, you know, our faith would be just so incredible. And when things are difficult, you know, in our lives and we're going through hardship, that all of a sudden Jesus would just show up at the kitchen table and say, hey, look, you're going to get through this. It's all going to be okay. And you're going to be just fine. Well, let me tell you, first of all, even if Jesus showed up in front of us, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make it any better. 
because the apostles had him with them every single day. They lived by the fire with this guy. They slept at night where he slept. They ate with him where he ate. They asked him questions. They talked with him. And they had just as many confusing things going on in their life about what was happening as you and I do in our life without even having his presence. Actually, we have a greater advantage because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit is in our life, we have personal Jesus on the inside of us who's speaking and leading and guiding us, and that's what your Bible tells you that he will do. Oh, no, Pastor, it would be much better if Jesus was just here right now with us. In that, But he's saying, look, you guys don't see him, you don't see him around you, but yet you believe in him. That's the kind of faith that you and I, that's the trial of our faith. Let's talk about what a trial is. A trial of our faith is when we believe something that God has told us or has spoken in his word, and everything that we see around us is saying it's not so. It's not so. That God has spoken something or said something that we have believed from his word, that we have seen something that he has said, and everything that is going on in our life, we're choosing to believe what God said over the circumstances that we're dealing with in our life right now. All right? over the circumstances. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 with me, if you would. Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, the writer of Hebrews starts talking about faith. He talks about people that draw back, of people that give up. He talks about the... He's, this. The whole book of Hebrews, really, the subject of faith keeps reoccurring through the various chapters. And in verse 1, he says, Now faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for and is the evidence of things that are not seen. And then he says, For by it, in verse 2, the elders obtained a good report. Now, faith is the substance of things that are hoped for and it is the evidence. Everybody underline the word evidence. Faith is your evidence of things you can't see. All right? Now, if you were talking to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they would tell you that belief, belief without evidence is called delusion. You know, if you believe something without any evidence of it, that's delusional. If you believe something is going to happen and you have no evidence or proof, and proof is a fine word for this too, and you have no proof of it and you're worrying about it and you're frustrated about it and it hasn't even happened yet, then they, a psychologist or a psychiatrist would say that means you're delusional because you believe in something that you don't even have any proof that it's true. I know that my wife is cheating on me. How do you know that? I know my husband is, how do you know that? Well, I don't know it, but it, it's just a feeling that I have. Well, that's not enough. You could create all this feeling out of that, and there could be no actual evidence, and it, it may not be true at all. I just know that I'm never going to make it financially out of where I am. What's your evidence of that? What's the proof you're using to back that up in your life? Your past? Is that what you're using? The thing, where you've been? 
That's what you're using as your evidence, that you'll always be poor, you'll always be broke, you'll always just barely get along, you'll never have enough, that you'll get cancer because your evidence is your mom had cancer, or because your, your dad had diabetes, or because you're on and on all this history. You say, well, those are things that happen, they are, they are real things, but here's, what I'm, here's my point, you have no evidence that they're in you. You have no evidence to support that they're in you except the belief that they're in you without evidence. Is everybody with me right now? And that's delusion. Our faith is not in something that is not evident. Our faith is in something that God has given us the evidence. That we believe in something even though we can't see it, we believe it because God has told us this is the way it really is. Here's the truth. Let me tell you what the truth is. Let me tell you what it really is all about. Let me tell you what life is really all about. Let me tell you the pathway to success. Let me tell you the pathway to victory. When you and I, when we face the fiery trial in our life, we have to realize in the midst of that fire trial, we're facing a choice to believe what is not true or to believe what is true. To believe what is not true or to believe what is true. What is true? Well, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He said his, that his word was truth. He said that the real truth about what you and I deal with in life could, would come from him. Everything that you're going to read in your Bible that God is speaking is going to be totally contrary to what life is trying to tell you. It really is. God's evidence is different than the evidence that you and I grow up living with around us. You know, I grew up in poverty. I, I mean, I grew up in the projects. I grew up in a, a home that was split. My mother worked. I was, we were talking about it this morning. Uh, my mom was not home at night. She was a waitress. She worked every night at the Brown Derby. Anybody know what a Brown Derby is? Uh, she was a waitress at the Brown Derby. She worked every night till 3 a.m. in the morning and came home. Most of the time we had babysitters that stayed with us. We barely had, I'm not telling a sad story here, we barely had food in the house. Um, you know, we just weren't sure where the next meal was going to come from. And back then my mother raised us on $5,000 a year. Four kids. And, uh, and, you know, she had a few miracles. And my mom was a believer. Uh, my mom wasn't a strong believer, but she was a believer. She believed in Christ. And she, went, she took us to church when, you know, of course, Saturday nights when you work till 3 a.m. in the morning. It was a little tough for her to get four kids up, let alone herself, and go to church. But we went sometimes. And uh, but, so my mom was a believer, but my mom never knew how to get out of that kind of lifestyle. Her life that she was raised in and the life that she taught us was how to survive. How to survive. And surviving is not thriving. Would you agree with that? Surviving is not thriving. When you're surviving, you're just doing anything. And look, there were plenty of times I lied, stole, cheated, did whatever I had to do to be able to get by because I just couldn't, because I thought that was the only way that I could survive. I could survive. But then I found out what God said. I found out what God said. You know, people will say, you're a product of your environment. I'm not a product of my environment. I'm a product of getting into the Bible and getting the Bible into me. Say, so, Pastor, how did you ever break that in your life? 
every day. See, we all want the silver bullet, right? We want the magic pill to, you know, tell me how to get, how do you get out of it? Every day. Every day. You keep going after it. You keep seeking it. You keep growing. You keep developing. You keep studying. You keep praying. You keep going before God. You keep laying that life out before God. You keep saying, Lord, I'm building, you know, I lived in fear most of my life, truthfully. It's tough. When you've lived in fear most of your life, it's tough to stop being afraid. It really is. You know, you talk about anxiety. Look, man, when you grew up, when you weren't sure what could happen to you, who was going to hurt you, who was going to take you out, whatever, where you were going to eat, you grow up with anxiety. When you grow up with that kind of anxiety, it always leads to depression. You end up depressed and sad. Now, how do you get out of it? You get out of it the same way you got into it, with new evidence. With new evidence. You got to find the right evidence. You got to go find what God said about you. You got to look in your Bible and see that God has spoken truths about you. And when you're in difficulty, those are the hardest moments for you and I to be able to stand on the truth that we believe. It really is. I'm, I'm not going to tell you that it's easy because it's not, it's a fire. It's a fiery trial. You know, we talked about here this morning. Well, you're in pain. Rejoice. What kind of a whack job church is this? You're going broke. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God, I love God, and I'm going to sow in the offering today. Hallelujah. I'm sowing seed for my miracle. Oh, you're nuts, man. You're nuts unless you're basing what you're doing off of evidence that others cannot see, evidence that you believe, things that you adhere to from the Scripture or you have established in the Word. Amen? See, that's, that's, where the real, that's where the real change element comes for you and I. So we're in the fiery trial. Now, maybe you didn't knew this about Sharon and I. Maybe you didn't know this about us, but we've been through a lot of fiery trials in our life. And there have been times when we just were ready to quit. I was ready to quit pastoring. I was ready to quit. I never quit on Sharon, I don't think. She never quit on me, at least that she admitted it. I was ready to quit on my kids a whole bunch of times. I mean, just that's it. We just kill them and tell them God they died and just bury them somewhere. And we know they're believers now; they'll be in heaven. So praise the Lord. <laughs> not, a good not a good solution. Yes, let me clarify that. But you know, you go through that. Physically, financially, family, my own insecurities in my life, the list goes on and on. But in those difficulties and in those challenges, and I shared this with you last week, and I just hope you, I hope, I hope you'll go back and listen to that message. But you know, um, I talked about how that they took the, they took um, back years and years ago in the 80s, they did the biodome. Some of you remember the biodome. And the biodome was this awesome experiment that they did. And uh, Polly Short was not in the real biodome, for those of you that are thinking about him right now. And uh, they built this dome, and they planted all these plants and trees inside this dome. And it was this perfect environment that they could fully control, okay? Fully control the, the moisture, fully control the temperatures. They had full control. 
and things thrived. I mean, they totally thrived. They grew so big and they grew so strong and, and just kept going and going. And these trees got super massive. I mean, they got really massive. But then all of a sudden, things started going wrong. The trees got to a point that as they grew, that they began to become top-heavy and they fell over. They couldn't take, they couldn't, they couldn't withstand. They, the ground wouldn't hold them, their root system wouldn't hold them. And so whenever, and this is why we don't see biodomes everywhere now, because they couldn't, it was not sustainable. And the reason it was not sustainable, and I mean, I, I, this just makes my heart sing and shout. The reason it wasn't sustainable is because in that perfect closed-off environment, there was no adversity. There was no wind. And because there was no wind inside the biodome, the trees never had to grow strong roots. They never had to learn how to bear up. In fact, they, I didn't get into this last week, but they actually proved that when they went back and looked at these trees and they looked at trees that were on the outside that were enduring through difficult windstorms and rain and all the different things, that they actually found that there was a different cell structure in the trees outside the dome than was inside the dome. And they, they named these cells that the trees outside because they, they said that those kinds of cells only develop in that tree when it's facing adversity. And I want to tell you here this morning, friend, if you don't know this yet, that there are only certain kinds of cellular structures in your spiritual life you'll develop as you stand in the midst of the wind and the adversity that you face. Well, I don't want that. Well, then you'll be weak all your life. And when the, you know, that when it gets tough, you know, remember uh, Jesus in Matthew, he tells us in chapter six, this is a great, great story. You learned it in Sunday school. There's two guys. They go out, they're going to build a house, right? One builds a house on rock. So he builds this house, he, he sets it into the stone, and he builds it up. And guess what happens? Storm, wind, adversity. And it comes. And what does the Bible say it does? It beats against the house. I mean, it, it doesn't just, it beats. Like I was hearing the wind beat on my house this morning. It beats on the house. I mean, it's bang, bang, bang hitting that house. And it says, and the house endured through it all. Okay. And then he says, here's this other guy. He builds this house and he builds it on sand. Same storm, same wind, same adversity. And it beats against that house. And he says, kerplui, the house fell, right? It collapsed. And so Jesus said, and that is exactly what will happen to every person who does not establish themselves on the word of God. You cannot build your future off your past successes. You cannot. Because your past successes are your past successes. The future has its own adversity that you have not experienced in the past. The future has adversity you have not experienced in the past. And if you try to use what you used in the past, it won't work in the future because you're still stuck back in the past. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the Word of God. We all, everyone, you say, well, Pastor, that's not very encouraging to me that I'll face adversity. Well, there's only one way I know to 
not face adversity. It's to die. And we'll have an altar call here in just a few moments for all of you that wish to depart from this world, right? No, we don't do that here, right? Now, as long as you're going to breathe, as long as you're going to live, as long as you're going to have a business, as long as you're going to work, as long as you have kids, hey, you don't want the adversity of kids? Don't have kids. That's the easiest way to do it, right? What a peaceful pathway. You never have to deal with disappointment, frustration, anger. But children are a blessing. Well, that's what your Bible says. It says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I had three arrows in my bag, Greg, Angeline, and Shannon. I figured if I couldn't hit it with three, I'm not going to hit it at all. Now, Raphael, he had eight, right? All keepers. He's a dangerous man with eight arrows in that quiver, right? But see, my point is with this is that in, in our lives, we tend to build our future hope on past experience, and you can't do that. You have to look at today is today. And when we're facing today, today is the day I have to build faith for today. Today is the day that I have to build hope for tomorrow. Today is the day I've got to look at the evidence of what God has said in his word. I love this in Romans 10, uh, in verse 17. It says, and you know this passage, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? That's what it says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Say it with me. Go ahead. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, here's what I want you to notice it didn't say, okay? Because I like to look at stuff and say, okay, what didn't he just say? He didn't say faith comes having heard. Hearing is a present tense. Actually, if you look at it in the Greek language, it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an infinitive which means ad infinitum. It just is hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. That means this word is repeated over and over and over. You just don't see it in the text there. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so what do you and I do? How do we get faith in our life? By hearing the word of God, not having heard. Well, I listened to that message before. See, that's something you heard. I want to know what you're hearing today. Now let's take it a little deeper, okay? It also doesn't say faith comes by listening and listening by the Word of God. It doesn't. I mean, we might like it to, because see, we think, well, I'm playing a tape or I listen to the music, and so my faith will build even though I'm not, because I'm listening to it. But he didn't say faith comes by listening. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So you say, well, then how do we get this hearing to take place in our life? Well, he told you. It's in Mark chapter 4, 24. The measure of thought and study you give to the word you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge. It'll come back to you, and more besides will be given to you who hear. So it's not that you're listening to it. It's that you're hearing it. And everybody here knows that you many times are listening and you're not hearing in fact, some of you guys know your wife looks right at you and says, did you hear what I just said? Because you didn't respond, right? You didn't respond the way she thought you should respond. So she knows you're not, you're not really hearing her. You just listen to her. 
You could say back what she said, but you didn't hear what she said. You just listened to what she said. You guys are making me work hard. I better take my jacket off here. Of course, I got pit stains now. So, But, but look, that's how what we have to realize is, is that God doesn't, faith doesn't come by listening. Well, I just, you know, I listen to all kinds of stuff. But what do you hear yourself saying? Because if, if, if it's just listening, then it's just listening. But if it's you listening, hearing it, and then repeating it in your life and saying it over your life, now faith is coming. And because you're giving thought and study to the word you're hearing, then you will have the virtue and the knowledge that will come back to you and more besides will be given to you here. Well, I just love to listen to praise and worship. Well, that's really great. And I love praise and worship too. I love old hymns. I love new songs. I love all of it. I love all. I like gospel. I like bluegrass. I like, you know, country gospel. I like all of it, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. Right? I like it all. But doesn't mean that there are lots of songs that I have listened to through the years that all I did was listen to them. I did not hear. You go, like, you know, some, I sometimes do this. I don't, you know, like some of your, how many of you, like, were, Rock and rollers in the 70s. You like listen, Pink Floyd and Zeppelin. And Go back and look at the lyrics. Look at what you were singing, right? Uh, I like the 90s. The 90s, yeah. Oh, yeah, there was better music in the 90s. Yeah. But, you know, there are a lot of people who were listening to Stairway to Heaven were having a spiritual experience. Do you ever think? Do you ever listen to the lyrics of "Stairway to Heaven"? There's a woman that knows that all that glitters not gold, and she's buying a stairway to heaven. Deep, right? Deep. You go back. See, you just listened. You didn't hear it. Same with worship too. Sometimes people sing songs that they are absolutely Christian songs. They're not biblical at all. They're not biblical at all. We had one floating around there for a while, you know, that was God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. We're not singing that crazy. We don't sing that here. You know, we're going to see that here. I had somebody bring it one time. I said, we won't do that one ever again. You know why? Because if God's in control, he's making a huge mess out of everything. I'll tell you what's, what's in control. The man that he put on the earth that's supposed to be putting his word to work, and if man is not doing that, then the devil is in control in the earth, and he's creating all these difficulties. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. But, you know, and, 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 you know so people, you see them, they, they say, oh, yeah, God is in control. He's in control of everything. He causes all these things to happen. You better think about what you're saying. Give some measure of thought and study to that. You know, it's like the one guy, he was challenged on it. He says, well, God's, God's done, God's controlled everything. Everything that happens, everything that happens, God has made happen. Everything. He is absolutely, totally in control because he is sovereign God. And he makes all things happen. And so someone challenged him and said, okay, did he make the devil rebel? They were like, well... 
He must have believing. See how crazy that is? That, well, according to what I believe, if God is sovereign and he does everything, then yeah, he created, he made the devil do what he did. He made the devil rebel. So, okay, so next, let's ask the next question because he was asked this. He said, okay, if God made the devil rebel, then did God make Adam sin? Because he's in control. Well, yep, he must have because according... You see how your beliefs can go contrary to all the evidence that God's word? Well, because of what I believe, that God is sovereign and he's in control, and that's how my theology works, that God's got to be in control of everything, and he's in control of everything, so everything that's happening. So go ahead, man. You believe that this Ethiopian airplane that went down overnight, God did that, and, you know, these people dying of plagues and clamp, God did that, and all these things that are going on all around the world, all the wars and the hate and all of the the cancers and the sicknesses and the little kids and that are going through difficulties and all the orphans. God's doing all that because God's sovereign and he's in control, which is the biggest bunch of nonsense I've ever heard. The world is the mess that it is right now because God put man in control and man let the devil in on the environment. And because he let him in on the environment, man still as a whole listens. And because God's people won't rise up and with new evidence and say, no, this is what the word says. Amen. This is what God says. This is what my scriptures say. This is what I'm standing on because we won't do that. Then therefore they become the louder voice in the world. Oh, be careful. Be careful. Well, my business is going through a tough time right now, but God's in charge. God's in charge. Be careful saying things like that. You're better off saying things, but I'm seeking his face for direction than you are saying God's in charge. I'm looking to him. I'm seeking his face for guidance. Several years ago, long, long, long time ago, I mean, I... And I'm going to stop here in just a minute. But I, got, I had a major crisis in my life. It was terrible. My, uh, some of you know about this. My middle daughter, um, she crashed on a bike. And, you know, whenever somebody comes, somebody comes to you and says, uh, your child is hurt, uh, they're sitting up by the road, you know, it looks like they've crashed on their bike, you know, a million things run through your head as a parent. I mean, it's just, uh, you know... Well, hopefully, you know, maybe she scraped her knee and maybe she, and that's what we were talking. I mean, that's what we were thinking. So we got, we, we, the, we, when we saw her, what actually had happened was she had hit jaw first into the ground off the front of her bike going down a hill and that she had snapped her jaw in half right here and knocked a bunch of her permanent teeth out. And she was, how old was she? Eight years old. And I mean, for me uh, and for Sharon too, I mean, we were basket cases. I mean, it just like, it totally threw it. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'll be real honest with you, I was mad at God. I'm like, look, I'm a tither. I'm in covenant with you. I, Lord, believe in you. I've trusted you. We've, we've stood strong on your word through so many things in our life. And I was really mad at God. And I said, how could you allow this to happen? How could you do that? How could you let this happen in my life? And I was mad. And so I went to the, uh, you know, we had our other children. So Sharon was staying at home with them. And I just decided that I was going to stay in the hospital with her and uh, be with her. And I think she was in there three days, wasn't she, Sharon? Three days? I think she was five days in the hospital. And I mean, I'm, I'm mad. 
Anybody ever been there? Like, I'm just mad. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at God. I'm mad. I'm not mad at her. I hurt for her. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how bad. She, they tell us she's got to have surgery. We don't have no money. We have no money to do any of this. Our church was barely, wasn't even paying us at the time. So, I mean, we're just getting by a piece at a time, taking care. I mean, we were in this huge struggle, and I'm sitting in that hospital room, and I'm like, that, I, I'll tell you what, I, this is it. This is it. You know, maybe you've had a this is it moment in your life. Maybe you've had a bunch of them, but I'd have my this is it moment. I'm done. I'm done. And my pastor, I talked to him on the phone, and but you know, even sometimes when your pastor talks to you, it's going in one ear and out the other because it's not touching the hurt the anger, the frustration. Because, see, your pastor can't fix everything. And so I sat at the end of her bed with my Bible, sitting there on the thing, on the, ta on the table, mad at God, frustrated. And I heard the Lord say to me, and I, I didn't, I, you know, when you're mad at God, you don't want him to talk to you. Just like people, you, when you're mad at him, don't talk to me. Right? Don't talk to me. But see, you know too much. That's the problem. There's always going to be a problem in your life because you come to this church, so you're going to know too much. So you can act like however you want for a while, but you know too much, so God's going to start talking to you. Jerry Sabell walked in his church, came through the door. He was, mad at, he was mad at his congregation, mad at his church, and mad at his wife, walked up to the pulpit and said, I've had enough of all of you. I quit. I'm leaving. See you later. I'm done with ministry. Didn't even tell his wife. And she's sitting on the front row, and he walks out the side door, gets in his truck, and takes off. Jerry Savelle, now we're talking about. I'm not talking about Mr. doesn't know what he's doing. I'm talking about somebody who knows what they're doing. He quit. And he's driving down the road, you know, and he's mad. And, I mean, he's so frustrated. And, and he looks over, and he sees all these cows out in this field on these hills. And he, he said, he heard a voice say, my father owns the cattle on a, th that's a Bible verse. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he said, God, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. But you know, after it settled, after he started settling down, he got out and he was sitting by fishing someplace by a pond and the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, and he began to deal. Of course, then he started to repent, and then before the Lord, and he knew he was wrong. He let his emotions get the best of him. And he who was without sin cast the first stone, okay? Right? And so he let that get the best of him, and then he knew he had to go back and make it all right, so he's got to go back and repent to his wife first and then to the church and, and move on, okay? So I'm that mad. Sharon's mad. We don't have any answers for each other. We're just kind of staring at each other in this numbness. And the Lord said, I want you to go, I want you to open your Bible, and I want you to look up everyone in the Bible. I want you to look them all up that's had a bad day. And I want you to look at what they did. I want you to look at what. Now, I'm not going to have time to get into them all, so I'll get into the rest of it next week. But uh, he said, I want you just to begin to go through the Scripture, and I want you to look at... And he says, here's the first one. I want you to look at Peter. And I'm thinking, well, where did he have a bad day? He said, well, did you ever hear about my crucifixion? I said, yeah. He said, did you look at what Peter actually went through? So I want you to turn there with me, if you would. 
and we'll close with this. This will be my final closing. I want you to go to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. And uh, and in verse and in chapter 22, it talks about you know where Peter denies the Lord and and I mean he's just you know he's he's or what he's going to just about getting ready to go through um, in denial and and uh, he's like no way would I ever do that and uh, I would never turn my back on you Lord. And uh, so in chapter 22 of Luke, and I want you to look at verse uh, 31, verse 31 with me. And he said this, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Look up at me real quick. That's tough. The devil's got your number, Peter. Simon, you're in trouble. And he's asked to be able to sift you as, I mean, he wants to shred you, dude. This is bad, but I want you to notice what the Lord said. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, notice there, he's already prophesying to him. You're coming back, son. You're coming back. You're coming you're not shouting very good right now. No matter how far away this takes you, I'm praying for you and you're coming back. You're coming back. He said, and when you do, get a hold of all your brethren because they're going to need you to help strengthen them through what they're going through because they're all going to deny me. They're all going to turn away. And the Lord said to me that you got a choice to make in your life today, son. You can choose to believe the intercessor, or you can choose to believe the accuser. You can believe the intercessor. Hebrews 7.25 says he, Jesus, ever lives to make intercession for you. He ever lives to make intercession for you. He prays for you. So I don't know if you think about that, but he's, Jesus is praying for you, for your faith, not to fail, not to quit not to give up, not to walk away, not to just think it's just easier just to do nothing. He's praying for you to be everything that you are called to be in your life, to have the business you're called to have, to have the job you're called to have, to have the family you're called to have. But how is he praying for you? That your faith would not fail. That your faith would not fail. He didn't say it wouldn't get tried. He just said that it not fail. And when you have returned. So the first thing the Lord told me, I didn't like that one, but he said, you make the choice today, son. Are you going to believe the intercessor over the accuser? The intercessor over the accuser. See, you think this battle you're in, you're in but you're not in it by yourself. If your faith and trust is growing in the Lord and that's where you're seeking your help, your hope comes from the Lord, then He's praying right in there with you. You don't even know, 
and I'm not going to get into this anymore, but you don't even know the stuff that Jesus has turned back already from your life. Some of you should be dead right now. Should be gone. Things that he delivered you, that he prayed you through. You know, you think your mama prayed for you or your aunt or your uncle. Listen, I'm telling you, heaven was praying for you. He that is sitting on the throne of heaven with all authority is praying that your faith not fail because he knows your faith is the key for you to come back and to move forward. So the choice is yours today. Who will you believe? We used to sing a song, whose report will you believe? Well, we'll believe the report of the Lord. Well, that's a great song if we mean it. That's what we're really going to do. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, uh, I, Lord, in the midst of difficulty, heard your voice. I, I respect every person and the challenges. Some of them, they're really big, major deals they're going through right now. Uh, Lord, we don't make light of any of those. Nor do we try to compare what we've been through with what they're going through right now. I just, we will not do that. But this we do know, Lord God, that the same God that has brought us through will bring us out and bring them out. Father, we align ourselves in prayer today Lord God, according to your word, that we will not let the accuser win this victory. We will not allow those accusations of sickness, disease, lack, poverty, uh, depression, anxiety. We will not let them win and rule. We will not let divorce and, and uh, Lord, wayward children and all the things, Lord God, that we will not, that they come against our lives and are coming against people here Lord, we will not let them be the voice in our head. But Lord, we will choose to believe the intercessor, the one who prays for us from heaven, that prayed for Peter and said, when you have returned, God, I can boldly say today that where I have lost ground, I have returned. And what ground I have lost to this day, I, Lord God, will take it back in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that every word that we have spoken, Lord God, that's idle and stupid and dumb stuff we've said about ourselves, our families, our children, Lord God, the finances we have, Lord God, we just say in the name of Jesus, those things are rendered powerless Lord, that they have no authority, they're empty, they're void, and we refuse to allow them to rule and to reign over us any longer in Jesus' name. And all those agreed said, amen. amen. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute. If you're here today, look, um, we didn't get into all of this message, but you're just in a place in your life right now where you know you're not right with God. And, and uh, you know, I want you to know today, God loves you, Jesus died for you, and everything that uh, your whole future today, God's brought you to this moment so that you could make a decision to allow him to have charge of your life. Maybe you're ready to do that today, and so I want to give you that opportunity. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the building, if you say, Pastor, my life's not right with God today, and I know it. All I'm going to ask you to do is just make eye contact with me all over the building, if you would.
Just look up at me, make sure I see you, and then we're going to pray together as a group here in just a moment. But we want to give everybody that opportunity before we leave here today that you could make things right with the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, thank you. Thank you. I don't want to miss anybody. If there's anyone here today, say, that's me. I want to make things right. Let's do it today. Let's do it today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father God, I thank you for all these folks, Lord. Those who are watching online, Lord, I just thank you, God, that you're dealing with the hearts of people, that you're, Lord God, bringing us to a place of victory in our lives, that we are more than conquerors through you who have loved us, and we just thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask Mark if you'd stand up here.